Welcome to a special edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with the legendary alto saxophonist, arranger, and composer, the great Jimmy Heath. During the course of our interview, Jimmy was very open about his friendships with John Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie, along with travels in Paris and other spots around the world, some of his favorite photographs, how the world is better off with jazz, and the key to his gifted longevity in the jazz craft, along with many more surprises and much, much more. Please dig it, my friends. Yeah, hi, Mr. Heath. It's Joe Domino with Neon Jazz. Great. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and begin here. Talk to me about your latest live album with your big band. Why did it take so long to record a live album? Well, you know, uh, it was an occasional thing that happened, and that was where I usually worked once a year, at least, in the Blue Note, so I figured I'd better do one. I had done uh, uh, two Well, it's a good one. Very, very good one. And it seems like at the age of 87, you're stronger than ever. Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be here. I was counting my blessings. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So, I want to go back in your life to an earlier period. Were you relieved to not be drafted for World War II? Absolutely. However, my brother did. Yeah, he was Tuskegee Airman, my brother Percy. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. in the very beginning, what were your first gigs like? How did you feel when you became a pro and climbed up on stage? Did you feel nervous? Were you ready to go from, from that early time? What was it like? No, I, I, I was nervous, as any uh, young person would be, uh, if they're not an egomaniac. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be nervous because it's a brand new experience. And uh, you're apprehensive as to uh, how you're going to be received. <laughs> and I went to Paris with Howard McGee in 1948 with the Ron Coleman Hawkins headlining the tour. Yeah. And man, you know, I was nervous on that day when they opened the curtain in <laughs> Paris. And I saw all those people. And another thing that blew my mind before I went on, there was a French group, and the people in the audience were screaming and whistling. And I said, oh my God, they don't, they don't want to hear us. They love them. And the guy backstage said, no, monsieur, when they whistle, it's no more than France. Huh, very cool. <laughs> so that eased my mind a little bit. Absolutely. They didn't whistle and howl on us, so they liked it. Very cool. So is Paris one of your favorite places to perform? Oh, no. I mean, it was one, yes. I mean, anywhere where 
you were received uh, with, with people like your music is, is, is good with me. Absolutely. So, do you like to arrange better, or do you do you like to arrange, or do you like to play? What do you like to do better? I think uh, uh, it's more important to be a composer and arranger, and to have uh, uh, people and your peers record your music than it is to stand up on stage and get a hand. Sometimes those hands are just uh, routine. Yeah. <laughs> he stopped. Oh, oh, he stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it is it's equally important to me to perform, but I think the music uh, and orchestrating has taken over. In fact, uh, you know, there's a concert coming up in Kansas City with uh, Bobby Watson. I was telling him yesterday. Yeah. And I told him that I saw your interview, I mean, I heard your interview with him, and he's doing one on me, and they gave me an award. Uh, Life Achievement Award, and uh, they're doing all my music. Right on. Mm -hmm. In an illustrious life full of making music and quality recordings, when you think about all the albums and sessions you've been a part of, what holds a special place in your heart? Well, there's no one specific. I think uh, one that I mentioned to Bobby, and it's in my autobiography, I Walk With the Giants is the one when Charlie Parker sat in with my band in Philadelphia. That's one of the most important times of my life. Right also, to be the first uh, jazz musician to get an honorary doctorate from Juilliard School of Music. There's so many. I, I have. I was just looking at my awards this morning. I said, oh, I told my wife I got over 100 now. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. But some of them are very special to me in my heart. You know, to be uh, uh, accepted by an audience and they like you what you do. It's a pleasureful life, man. Yeah, right on. So, when did you finally embrace the nickname Little Bird? I did it for uh, a while. I was with uh, uh, Howard McGee and Milt Jackson. I think they the too responsible for calling me that when I was playing the alto saxophone. And, uh, you know, and eventually I wanted to be Jimmy Heath and not Little Bird, so I kind of went to the tenor, and like me and Coltrane both went to the tenor around the same time. Right on. He, he maybe a little earlier than me. Yeah. But we, in Philly, we used to hang together. We right We were Dizzy's band together playing altos. So the Little Bird title was welcomed, yeah. and, but I wanted to be Jimmy Heath, you know, and I worked on trying to play, and not that I'm dissing Charlie Parker, because anybody that plays jazz, if they don't improvise music, they got some Charlie Parker in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. He was, he was such a genius. Yeah. And he, he played so much music in 34 years. Man, that's that's true. Yeah, it really is. So amazing. I, it is amazing, for sure. So I just read your Downbeat article this morning, and there was a lot of references to photos that you had. And in this increasingly digital world that we have, it's great to have photos in your hands. Mm -hmm. What fo what photographs do you have with, with folks really holds a special sp spot in your heart? Oh, 
I think uh, one, I got 3,000 in fact, and I've been wow. taking photos myself in the last two or three years, following in the steps of, uh, uh, in the books that I knew that went before me that became photographers as well as musicians. But I, there's one with uh, Dizzy, I, it's very special to me. Yeah. Right on, right on. Right on. So I want to kind of switch tracks here and talk about your brothers. What was that like to be able to create music with your brothers for so long in the studio and on stage? Well, when we could get together, it was amazing. We used to hit some grooves that I find uh, that I can't, I, I never, never liked that. Mm -hmm. I remember Percy uh, used to say, when we were playing, the three of us, and we get in a groove sometimes, because we come from the same genes, man, yeah. same mother and father. And, and it was sometimes when we could get in a groove, it was so good. So Percy would holler, all right, don't go in there. We can't keep it in there. <laughs> <laughs> don't get hooked. Yeah, don't go in there. It's too deep. <laughs> So we used to get in some good grooves as brothers when we had to groove together. However, we we both were working in our own things too. Yeah, yeah. very cool. What, what Dizzy Gillespie? He just sounds like you know. As a fan of his music, it's one thing, but I've heard nothing but wonderful things about him. What did he teach you about life? Well, he was a, a, a gentleman, uh, and he was a funny guy. But he was very serious about music, and he was always showing you. He's a mentor. He's always showing you harmonies on the piano and things like that, you know. And he was a—he didn't get involved in some of the things that uh, some of the other musicians, as far as the inebriation and stuff that they did. He was like Louis Armstrong. They—they, they, you know, a little smoke, a little weed, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. So what? So that was an example. He was having fun. He could play like nobody else at the time. At one time in his career, he was just outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of outstanding and geniuses, what was it like to work with Miles Davis? What did what did you get from playing with him and being associated with him? Well, Miles Davis was a. Uh, uh, Stylist. He had his own, because he said himself, he says, the only reason he didn't play like Dizzy is because he couldn't. Hmm. So he found a style that was very pleasing. Uh, he was a great ballad player. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, a, you know, he and I, you know, like fast cars and all that stuff, driving fast and all that. Yeah. But uh, Miles was an a, a innovator, too. So since he couldn't play, like he found, formed his own style, and that's what the world needs. We don't need all this sending the clones. Yeah. And we got a lot of clones out here. Yeah. If somebody makes it big, and then everybody's going to do the same style. Yeah. In my time, everybody was their own individual uh, style of playing. Leslie Young was different from Coleman Hawkins. Cole was different from Sonny Rollins. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to have your own style. That's my But that's not the world today. Right. And then the clones. So, speaking of John Coltrane, there was an article that I just read recently that speculated what what his music would be like if he was still alive today. Where, where do you think John Coltrane would have gone if he would be around today playing? Oh, well, he got so uh, spiritual in his performance. And uh, he, was, he was always reaching uh, for the sky, uh, the pinnacle of yeah. whatever he was trying. And it, it, it just wouldn't have stopped. He would have continued because he was one of the most practicing uh, and devoted musicians I've ever met. You know, yeah. his first wife, uh, Juanita, uh, later named Naima, uh, was, um, said that John was 90% saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, sure. He practiced all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, I asked him, you know, when he was in my band, I said, John, he wrote an arrangement on uh, Lover Man. And uh, I said, Jim, why don't you write some more? He said, oh, Jim, I ain't got no time to write no more arrangements. I got to practice. Huh. He spent more time practicing than, than writing arrangements. He could compose, of course. That comes from practice. Yeah. You over, open your ears up to composition. But orchestrating, he didn't, he didn't pay that much attention, like Benny Golson and Slide Hampton and myself and people like that. Frank Foster and others, you know. Sure. Ed Jones. Yeah. We yeah. wanted to orchestrate our stuff and have it out there to be performed. Absolutely. So, do you like being a jazz icon? Well, I just know uh, icon, yeah, well, you know. Seemingly, uh, Joe, it seems that the uh, icons are all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be an acorn. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> be alive than an icon. That's right. <laughs> Very well. That's excellently said. Very cool. Jimmy, who's your hero? Oh, man. Well, Disney's one. Cool. You know, and I, and my, I got a wife up in with Pomona, and I got a wife Without a doubt, without a doubt. Speaking of 
wisdom and harmony and melody in your life did did the prison stint that you had from 55 to 59 how did that make you look at life differently it made me clean up my life mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it gave me the, the common sense that I'm not going to do that anymore mm-hmm. I, I'm wasting my life away this is the end of this and that's what it has been my life has just taken off ever since I steady progressed since I came home and I met my wife the first day. Wow. Very cool. Why do you love to teach? I like to teach because teaching is learning. You know, when you're teaching, you come on to things that you haven't tried yourself. Yeah. And you, okay, you tell your students, okay, play that in 12 keys, okay? And I'm saying, oh, wait a minute, i got to go home and do that myself. (laughs) (laughs) Teaching is learning because you learn something from everyone. Every day you can learn something. You've shared the stage with so many people and so many names. What what was it? What what's it been like to do that over your life? To have shared the stage with so many folks. What 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 does that feel like now at, at this point in your life? It makes me very proud to have been on a lot of scenes with a lot of great. That's why the book that I wrote is titled "I Walk with Giants," because there are a lot of people, even ones that uh, are not recognized as giants in the music world. There are a lot of great musicians in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you hear different people every day. There's always somebody coming around, somebody new that you haven't heard that, that's got music all worked out. It's not a monopoly of any one person. However, there are a few people that came close to having a monopoly. <laughs> a few. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, other than that few, there are many who have great uh, talents. Absolutely. What's the nicest thing that a fan has ever said to you? Oh, that's very difficult. Uh, I, I don't know because I've gotten great comments for so many years from different people. Yeah. So, in a long life that you've lived, what's been the key to your longevity? Uh, luck. Luck. <laughs> Very good. That's it. That's it. Luck, man. Because uh, a lot of my, I just played for Joe Wilder's uh, memorial, and at the same time, Barry Harris told me that uh, Gerald Wilson had passed that same day, and they both were dear friends of mine. Hmm. I'm always playing memorials for my friends, and it's, it's 
you're leaving. And I look around, and I remember being with Dizzy's band when Gerald Wilson was in the band, and I thought about it, and I said, dang, everybody in that band trained Paul Gonzalez, Gerald Wilson, Willie Cook, all these guys, everybody's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. Oh, I, oh yeah. I feel very, very uh, blessed to be here. Yeah. Right on. What makes you happy? What What really, really makes Jimmy Heath happy? Oh, I, I, I love to have a, a, a performance that goes over well. Cool. When I play and, and the music that people come and tell me that they like, that makes me happy. Right on. So, in the world of jazz, as we've I've mentioned already, you've played with so many folks. Is there anybody that you haven't played with that you would like to play with at some point? Sure. I can't play with them because they're gone. Yeah. Yeah, but the ones I didn't play with that I wish I had was Duke Ellington, Tom Basie. Uh, I never met Don Bias, the saxophone player, and I loved his playing. Huh. Uh, but uh, there, there are two yeah. that I wish I had played with. I did play with Charlie Palmer on when he sat in with my band. So what was that like? And this, and this, oh, that was wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Charlie Parker. Good God. Yeah. Couldn't be any better than that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, well, speaking of Bird, my, I'm kind of segueing here into the Kansas City question. Have you played here in KC? You got fond memories of gigging here? Yeah, I played there. And I, when I remember seeing that uh, big statue of Bird there, I played there. Uh, me and Percy, we played there. And I played again with the uh, Disney alumni band there. At the th- what's that theater called right there? The Gem? Yeah, the Gem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I played there. Cool. Very and, cool. Yeah. Kansas City has always been a great music place. Yeah. I want to come back. Right on. We'd love to have you back. Anytime. For sure. Okay. So the, uh, the Heath family is full of musical prowess, and it looks like you've passed that on to James. Are you pretty proud of him? Yeah, he's a great uh, composer. And he had a lot of He's got gold records. Five or six, I don't know. Yeah. He made a great living on music. And he called his music funk ballads. Yeah. And it's love in there, you know? Yeah. It's not just, it's, it's not just the straight jazz feel. It's a different feel, but it has a pulse, and it, it still respects uh, the melody and harmonies of music. So, in a, in a, in a life well lived full of wisdom and love and everything you've given to the world, what's left to accomplish? Well, as long as I can stay, I'm still at the computer trying to produce something else. Cool. I've got more more music to come. Right on. Has jazz made the world a better place? I'm sure jazz has made the music, because I know the world. Jazz uh, has made the world a better place because Everybody's trying to play it all around the world. All ethnic groups and all nationalities. And that's made the world come together. And let me ask you this. 
something that's safe for the world to know. What is there about Jimmy Heat the world may not know that you may want to tell them? Well, sometimes uh, the little guy gets passed by. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little guy. Yeah. Everybody likes the big guy. Yeah. Right on. What do you think jazz is going to sound like a hundred years from now? I think it still would be improvised music, and it will have uh, still some of the same elements, as long as they are keeping the same twelve notes that piano offers. If they have new instruments, they may have a different sound. Yeah. But as long as the piano is the basis, it's going to sound similar. But there's always a way that people can find something different, even within, you know, those same 12 notes that have been used for thousands, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. Now. At the end of the proverbial day, how do you want the world to remember you? I think the world remember me as a composer and a musician who gave a lot to the uh, idiom of music. Cool. Sir, thank you very much for uh, all the music and wisdom. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. All right, thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the legends that have made the world of jazz so vibrant, rich, and dreamy for everyone that loves jazz. And thanks to the legendary Jimmy Heath for his brilliance, warmth, time, and insight. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Or for all things Neon Jazz, visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.